Well, hello, preacher Rick here from the Hills Church. I want to welcome all of you watching online across our country and literally across the world. We're a church in Tarrant County with three campuses, and we're believing next spring that we're going to launch a campus in Dallas County. So a shout out to all of you that are forming the core team that's going to help us launch that campus meeting already in Dallas. Uh, it's my privilege today to preach live at our Keller campus. So a shout out to all of you in person at West Fort Worth and our North Richland Hills campus. We're in a series called It's a Must, week five of a six-week series. And the premise of the series is simple. If Jesus is Lord, and if Jesus says something is a must, then a disciple cannot treat it like a maybe. If Jesus says it is non-negotiable, then we can't treat it like it is an option. So you can be finding Luke 17 in your Bible because today we're going to look at one of the hardest musts Jesus ever uttered. But I want to start on a happy note. So last year about this time, I became a grandfather and we celebrated my granddaughter's first year birthday. You can see little Sadie's picture here. And even if I'm not in person with you, I can read your mind. Right now, you are saying she is the most adorable little girl I have ever seen in all my life, and you would be right. And by the way, she looks like that most of the time. She is a happy baby. She smiles. She loves people. It's very rare to see her unhappy. But I'm going to show you a time when she was. You see, when you turn one, you got to get your shots. And so little Sadie had gotten four shots and her finger picked. Just look, isn't that the most pathetic and pitiful thing you have ever seen? You see, little Sadie woke up one day, and she loves people, and she could not understand why people would hurt her. But the good news is, little Sadie quickly got over it and even forgot about it. She doesn't even remember that it happened. But when you get older, it gets a lot harder, doesn't it? To forget that people hurt you. And the Bible doesn't say, well, just forgive and forget. But the Bible won't let us forget that Jesus said, you must forgive. Like I said, this might be the hardest of all his must for some of you. Let's look at Luke 17, verse 3 and 4. And Jesus said, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day. And each time again turns and asks forgiveness. You must forgive. Wow. Seriously? Seven times a day? You've heard the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that cannot change, the courage to change the things that can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, have you heard of the senility prayer? God grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, the good fortune to run into the ones I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. Amen. See, here's the thing. 
No one goes through life unwounded. Even if you enter the kingdom of God, Jesus acknowledges you are going to be wounded and wounded by other people who have entered the kingdom of God. Notice the text says, if another believer, literally it says, if your brother, you will be wounded by your brothers and sisters. And Jesus doesn't hold you responsible for getting hurt. He holds you responsible for what you do with the hurt. And remember, he's taking all these people who want to enter the kingdom, his disciples, and he's teaching them how to pray. And he says in Matthew 6, pray like this, forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Jesus said, you're going to get sinned against. Even by people who've entered the kingdom like you have, you are going to get sinned against. And Jesus remains consistent and insistent. I am building a community that's different. And in this community, when you get hurt, and you will, forgiveness is a must. Now, a couple of quick caveats. Do not use Jesus' words to condone or excuse abuse. No one should use Jesus' words to say to anyone, you just need to submit to someone that is abusive. Let me say, this church will never teach and no leader of this church will ever counsel anyone in an abusive situation that they have to stay in that situation to be obedient to Jesus. That is not what Jesus is saying. And let me also be clear that we must not Confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. You see, forgiveness is a one-way street. I can forgive someone that hurt me if they don't even want to be forgiven. They may not even be alive anymore. But reconciliation is a two-way street. It's something that two people have to want to happen. And sometimes it's not wise to reconcile because that other person isn't safe to be around. So don't hear Jesus saying what he did not say. At the same time, don't minimize what he said. We started this whole series with these words. You must take up your cross. The first thing, death is a must. And what does it mean to die? In this case, it means I must die to my right to get what I'm due that I must die to my right to retaliate and even to my right to keep bringing it up. That when we take up a cross, we give up our rights as creditors. Now this sermon hits everybody. I'm not talking to anyone today who hasn't been wounded by someone who should not have done it. Someone has failed to give you what you were due. You're due an explanation. You're due an apology. You're due some respect or a promised kept or some faithfulness. And you have not received what you are due. And if you follow Jesus, you don't have to forget 
but you must forgive. And before you can release what you are due, there are just some core kingdom principles you must decide are true. So let's explore what those principles are. Here's the first. We have to start right here. We must embrace the unfairness of the gospel. If we are going to be a people that refuse to demand what we are due, we must embrace the unfairness of the gospel. You see, if God was all about just keeping books, then all we need is Moses and the law. But God is all about grace. And that's why we needed Jesus and the cross. See, I want you to understand, nothing about our salvation is fair. Our salvation hinges, is based on God's promise to give us what we need, not what we're due. To give us what we do not deserve. And the gospel declares that we can trust God's promise to do this because it's based in his character and not in our own. This is what God has declared and decided he will do. Now, a lot of you know the name Bob Goff. He's he's spoken many years at our men's conference, and he's going to again this year. Bob tells an amazing story. He tells many amazing stories. This involves his role as a father. So, before his daughter was born, Bob went out to a field, took a mason jar, put a letter inside, buried it. 17 years later, his daughter wrecks the car. Bob gives her the coordinates and a shovel and says, go dig up a jar. She finds the jar, she opens the letter, and she reads Bob writing, I forgive you for wrecking the car. He had declared his intention to forgive before she was even born. It was based in his nature, not hers. Now, keep that in mind and listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Is this not amazing? This is not good news. God declared before you were in his debt that he would not demand what he was due. Instead, God chose to bear what we were due in our place. And so listen, we must never lose the wonder of the gospel. There are so many things that Christ expects of us that depend on this simple truth. We get the gospel. And when we remember and stay in awe of the gospel, we are in a place where we can accept that forgiveness is a must. Because that leads to the second big truth. That we must return grace 
Because we've received grace. That the God who erases our past does expect us to embrace a certain kind of future. Jesus told an amazing story, a parable in Matthew 18. You should go back and read later today. Now, in this parable, there's a man in debt to a king. The king is due what this man cannot pay. Uh, He owes this king a bazillion dollars. This man is so proud. He says, I'll pay it back. He couldn't in a thousand lifetimes pay it back. And the king, in an incredible act of mercy, chose to completely erase the debt and forgive this man. Now, this man goes out and finds someone that owes him a small amount of money and throws him in prison because he could not pay it. And when the king finds out, the king is upset because the king thought, because I have erased your past, you will embrace a certain kind of future. You see, we amass our debt to God in different ways. But here's the thing. We all have this in common. A complete inability to pay. Don't be comparing yourself to other people. Well, I haven't sinned as much as them, or I'm not as bad as them. It doesn't matter. None of us can pay the debt. The king must, in grace, completely forgive it. That's what I want you to remember. You couldn't pay your debt. (laughs) Some years ago in Reader's Digest, there was a little story about a woman, she was divorced. Her grown daughter asked her mother after a number of years of living single why she had never considered remarriage. Her mother said, I just don't need some man to marry who would come with so much baggage. I don't need all that baggage in my life. And the daughter took her hand and said, Mama, let me tell you, you're not exactly carry on yourself, okay? And so every week we do what we did earlier in our service. We took communion together. And when we take communion We remind ourselves that the king chose to forgive us despite all our baggage. So how can we receive such unlimited grace from our father and then decide we are going to dispense grace in limited amounts to our brother? And and by the way, this doesn't require pretending that the wound wasn't that bad. No, it requires proclaiming grace is that good. I am not saying that Jesus expects you to forget the hurt. But Jesus does expect you to remember the hurt the right way. Listen to Brother Paul in Colossians 3. Since God chose you. To be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender heart, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Give up your right to get what you're due. God didn't give you what you were due He forgave you. Forgive your brother. And here's the thing. When we give up our right, we're actually pursuing the best possible way to make things right. That's the third big idea behind this command. That we must believe in the power of good. You see, forgiving is not endorsing passivity. It's intentionally choosing to respond to evil with aggressive goodness. Now, let's just admit it. 
When has retaliation ever produced reconciliation? In your family, among your friends, at church, on the world scene, we're seeing it play out right now on the geopolitical level. When does retaliation ever work in producing reconciliation? You see, Jesus is not teaching that we must survive evil. Jesus is saying we must conquer evil. And we do it with love. He said in Luke 6, to you who are willing to listen. Oh, that's a mouthful right there. Some of you right now need to wake up and get more willing to listen. To you that are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. It is so counterintuitive, but in Jesus' kingdom, suffering is the path to conquering. Retaliation does not lead to reconciliation. Suffering does. In my lifetime, no one modeled this better than Dr. King. And in one of Dr. King's best sermons, he said, I've seen too much hate to want to hate myself. And I've seen hate on the faces of too many sheriffs, too many white citizens, counselors, too many Klansmen of the South to want to hate myself. And every time I see it, I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear. Somehow we must be able to stand up before our most bitter opponents and say, we will match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws and abide by the unjust system because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as cooperation with good. And so throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities as the midnight hour and drag us into some wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country. Make it appear we're not fit culturally or otherwise for integration and we'll still love you but be sure we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer and one day we will win our freedom and we will not only win freedom for ourselves we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory he preached it he lived it and he was right that when we give up we lift up when we give up our right to pay back, we lift up the cross that can bring men back to God and to each other. I know what someone's thinking right now. Pastor, it sounds like you're saying sin and evil don't really matter. No. But I am saying the matter of how to punish sin and evil is God's call, not yours. And that's the fourth big idea. That we must trust that God is just. Now, if the gospel is wrong, then it's up to you to make things right. Retaliate, fight back, hold grudges, be bitter. If the gospel is wrong, it's up to you to make it right. But if the gospel is right, it's up to God. About a month ago, I had the privilege of preaching to women 
in the Tarrant County Jail. And after my lesson was over, we had some times for question and answer. And one of the, the very first question I got, in fact, was from a woman fighting such anger because her husband had been murdered execution style by a drug cartel. And in her own words, they just got away with it. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave me the words I knew she needed to hear. And I said, oh, no. No one gets away with anything. All sin is going to be judged. Now, it's going to be judged at the cross of Jesus, or it's going to be judged in a lake of fire. But all sin is going to be judged. But here's the thing. Only God is qualified to do the judging. When you decide that you will do the judging, you're in contempt of court. You're acting like you own a throne, and you don't. God says, vengeance belongs to me. I'll do the repaying. And he makes no exceptions, not even in your case. Making things right is God's job. And we need to stay out of his business. You know, the rest of the serenity prayer reads like this. Living one day at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. If we are going to live this kingdom ethic, create this community of forgiveness, we must trust that God is just. He will make things right. And so when you're wounded, instead of letting the one who hurt you have it, let God have it like Jesus did. One of the most powerful and convicting verses in all the Bible is in 1 Peter 2. Jesus did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And here's the thing. When you release your wounder to God, you're actually releasing yourself. And that leads to the last kingdom principle that I want to share with you. We must realize that bitterness is a prison. Jesus wants us to live a life that is truly free. And so he knows that when he says you must forgive, he is actually liberating us. Another woman in the prison that day shared her anger over the death of her son. And she admitted, they let me out of jail and I get so depressed over his loss that I take drugs to medicate and I wind back up in jail. And through tears, she heard me say that her real prison is her bitterness. And until she can escape the prison of bitterness, she is going to deal with so many other kinds 
of bondage. Bitterness is to the soul what cancer is to the body. It closes a person off to healing and it opens up a person to satanic infection. In Ephesians 4, Paul is real clear. Don't give Satan a foothold. The enemy is looking for a way to get into your very soul and spread poison and toxin and drain your life of joy. And what is this foothold that he's looking for? Well, Paul goes on in that chapter to say, do not be bitter or angry or mad. Never shout angrily or say things to hurt others. Never do anything evil. Be kind and loving to each other. And forgive each other just as God forgave you in Christ. Don't let your wound become your identity. You can't change the past. But you don't have to be chained to the past. King Jesus has come along to set us free. And he knows that freedom requires forgiveness. A lot of you have read the works of the great uh, Christian preacher, teacher, writer, author, and inspiration, Corey Tin Boone. She and her sister Betsy spent many years in Ravensbrück, Nazi concentration camp. Betsy died in that camp. So it's 1947. The war's been over for a couple of years. And God opened doors for Corey to go back and preach in Germany. She loved to preach about the grace of God. And her favorite metaphor was the scriptures that says it's like the sea. And God throws your sin into the sea and it never can be recovered. And so she preached about how that's how God forgives people. And then the service is over and she saw him, a man walking toward her. And she recognized him as one of the guards of Ravensbrook camp. Oh, he didn't recognize her. There were thousands of women in that camp, but she could never forget him. She could never forget all the times completely deprived of all dignity. She had to walk naked past that man. She could never forget that's where her sister died. That man came up to her and said, Fraulein, you preached a wonderful message about God's forgiveness I've recently become a Christian, and I'm so thankful God has forgiven me of all the things I've done in my past. But, Fraulein, I need to ask you, would you forgive me? I was a guard at the camp you stayed. Would you forgive me? And Corey was so honest. She said, nothing in me wanted to forgive him. Nothing. But I remembered the words of Jesus if you do not forgive others their sins against you, how can you expect God to forgive your sins against him? I knew what I must do. I didn't want to do it. But I remember forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. And so I said in a prayer, Jesus, all I can do is lift up my hand. You're going to have to help me. And she started to put her hand out toward him. And she wrote, I felt something. I felt a charge go down my shoulder all the way down my arm into my hand. 
And then I felt this warmth come over my whole body. And she says, I never felt the love of God so intensely. And I was able to say, I do forgive you, my brother. I forgive you with all my heart. Corey was set free a second time. And she's right. Forgiveness is a choice. But listen, if Jesus is Lord, it is your only choice. So don't focus on what someone has done to you. Focus on what Jesus has done for you. Let me say it this way. His wounds must shape how I respond to mine. And I choose to find my identity in the one who was wounded for me. Now, here's what I know. I'm talking to hundreds of people right now. And this is the hardest of all the must. And I'm not saying anything today that diminishes your pain or that implies that it shouldn't hurt and that you just need to get over it. But if Jesus is Lord of all, then he is Lord of all your wounds. And so let his wounds Decide how you will respond to yours. One last story. Theologian William Willimon tells of a time he was at a church and he was preaching about forgiveness. And after the service, a woman came up to him and very directly said, are you saying that I need to forgive my husband who made my life a living hell for 10 years before I had the guts to leave him? And, and, and the force of her words were so strong, he kind of stepped back and said, well, well, of course I can't in one sermon give all the qualifiers. And, and of course, I know abuse must be a terrible thing. And of course, it must be awful what you went through. But, but, but Jesus did say we must forgive. And, and, he, and he did say we must love our enemy. And she kind of stopped him and said, oh, okay. I was just checking. And she walked away. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, he prayed this prayer, Oh, Lord, give me the grace to never protect my people from Jesus. I hope that's the kind of pastor I am. That I will love you too much to never protect you from the strong, demanding liberating words of Jesus. And your Savior said, forgiveness is a must. And it may not bring your wounder into the kingdom, but it will bring you closer to the throne. So let's pray. And here's how we're going to pray today. I'll finish the prayer. But we're going to start the prayer with these words. Lord, in Jesus' name, I speak forgiveness too. And you're going to finish that sentence.
So everyone at every campus online, let's bow our heads. And you deal for a moment privately with what the Holy Spirit is asking you to say. Lord, in Jesus' name, I speak forgiveness to you. Now pray. And so, dear God, we pray, asking for the willingness to really hear what Jesus says, asking for the courage to obey it, and asking for a greater capacity to experience the freedom that comes when we walk in the way of Jesus. And we ask one more thing, God, that you would help us to never lose the wonder of your mercy. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.